Well, hello there. Hello. How are you, Megan? My neck hurts, but other than that, I'm good. How are you? I'm also good. My neck always hurts, so. (laughs) And I'm a little tired, but you know, that's life. Still gonna knock it out. Fucking right. Also tired. I think it has something to do with the fact that Labor Day is over. School is supposed to start this week, but... Not looking good. Yeah, I think the teachers are probably going on strike here, so... I support them, teachers. I do, I do. I feel bad for families that are not quite sure whether or not they need childcare this week, though. Mm -hmm. That's always a fun thing to find out the day before. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm very distracted by your once youngest kitten who is being real salty right now. Yes, Um, she is. She's being a little bit of a diva. And why is that? Because there's a new kitten in the house. New cat in town. God. Yeah, (laughs) that sure is. What happened there? Well, now I'm certifiable. (laughs) Certified cat lady. I would like to just on your behalf, in your defense, perhaps... (laughs) (laughs) Say that this is part of a negotiation tactic that seemed to get you something you've been wanting for a long time. That's right. Please describe. Okay. (laughs) I think it's well established that I like cats. Indeed. And Justine is also a big cat lover, as is all our kids. So when we were in Camino Island this weekend over Labor Day and we went ziplining, we took our kids out to lunch to celebrate the fact that I survived (laughs) and enjoyed it a little bit yeah it was i mean sidebar it was really fun and one of the reasons that i was scared in addition to being terrified of heights is because the other places that i've watched my kids do zip lining they don't really help you that much they just kind of show you how to manipulate your equipment Mm -hmm. and then they're like okay good luck out there Mm. basically that's in controlled you know rope course environments not like they're sending you out zip lining or whatever. So I was afraid that like, I'm going to fuck up and not clip something where it needed to be clipped. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to be realizing that as I'm falling to my death or something. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of liability for those places. So it's in their interest to not let that happen. Well, as it turns out, we (laughs) had two great young gents that were our guides. I don't know what their title is. Liaisons. (laughs) (laughs) I'm certain it's not that. (laughs) But they ended up doing all the work for us in terms of moving our equipment, like when it was our turn to do the zipline. So I felt much more like I was going to make it. Basically, I was going to live. So I was still a little scared because I had the heights thing, but I got through it. It was pretty fun. Good. Anyway, we went to lunch and then we decided, hey, we drove past an animal shelter. We all love animals. Oh, boy. That looks fun. Let's go in there and pet some kittens and just check it out. (laughs) First mistake. (laughs) So they had a lot of really cute kittens and some cool dogs. And of course, all our kids, including yours, were like, I want a cat. I want a cat. And I was firm. I was like, no, no, no. We have three cats. That's enough. Yeah. You texted me to say that my kid wanted a cat. And I was like, shut it down. (laughs) And Justine's like, well, I have four cats. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) There was this one kitten that was very sweet and drawn to my daughter and she was drawn to him and she just really enjoyed playing with them. But I held my ground and I'm like, we're out of here. We're not getting another cat. We just came in to play with kittens and that's fun and let's go. Of course, we all want to take them home. The next day we go to brunch and I'm like, what do you guys want to do now? And they're like, we want to go back to the animal shelter and see the animals again. And I'm like, okay, 
we have a couple hours before you guys were coming up to hang out. So mm-hmm. I'm like, we can go back there. Same situation. My daughter is completely drawn to this kitten. He's drawn to her. She's just cuddling him and he's so sweet and purring. And she says to me, if you let me get this cat, I will get rid of the tortoise. Did she come up with that idea? Yes. Oh, I did not realize that. And this is the tortoise that I've been trying to get rid of. That none of you listeners have yet taken. (laughs) However, now it's... (laughs) Despite several offers. Now it has been sanctioned by said tortoise's young owner. Right. So even at that, I was like, "Mm, boy, that's a tempting offer, but I'm not sure I want to do that. Then I leave to go look at the dogs and I come back and she's still holding this cat and she's got huge crocodile tears running down her face, sobbing. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm so worried he's going to go to a bad family. And I was like, oh, God, I'm just watching her like connect with this kitten. And I'm like, fuck, I really want to get rid of the tortoise. I mean, going from three cats to four cats really is not... It's less work, I would argue, than taking care of three cats and a tortoise. Correct. So I'm out there just talking to the people at the front desk about who is this kitten? Where'd he come from? Does he have medical needs? Like, what's the story? And my other daughter comes out and says, you know, it could be your birthday present too, because her birthday's coming up. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) Now it's like double whammy material. (laughs) We could get rid of the tortoise and it could be your birthday present. And of course, she's breaking my heart out there sobbing her huge crocodile tears. And I'm like, fuck. All right, fine. Let's do it. (laughs) So sucker. I know. I know. I was saying that to myself as I was filling out the paperwork. I think it was a good trade. So I fill it out. We put them in a little carrier. I take them out there to her and I go, happy birthday. (laughs) She was very excited. And I said, and you still have to get rid of the tortoise. Yes. Absolutely. And she said, I will, I will. Anyway, currently working some leads pretty hard on rehoming the tortoise. And we now have four cats. I would like to say with 1000% certainty that we will not be getting any more. You would like to say that. Well, because I said with a thousand percent certainty that we weren't getting any more than three. Exactly. And look what happened. So here you are. I don't plan on exceeding four cats. You know what they say about plans, right? (laughs) (laughs) He is very sweet. He's very sweet. Last night, he just crawled right up in my bed, crawled up next to me, purring. Did he sleep all night? Did he wake you up? He slept all night, purring next to me. And then this morning, he crawled up on my chest and Mm. was like purring like crazy and laid there for like an hour. He's a little lover. He's adapting quite easily here, so. But there is a little bit of hissing from the other young kittens. Which was what was distracting you. Correct. But this happening yesterday gave me the brilliant idea of a topic for tonight. Sure did. (laughs) The topic is crazy cat ladies. (laughs) (laughs) No. Persuasion. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by the psychology of all this stuff anyway. Right. And then, you know, you were persuaded to get a fourth cat when that was was. definitely not the plan. So it sure was. I mean, I respect the negotiation. Right. But there was negotiation and persuasion. Yeah. And you're getting something out of it that you want to. So absolutely. Yeah. This is not a one-sided thing. And I like the cat. And I'm sorry, Tux, the tortoise, but I don't like you very much. (laughs) Who would? He's real boring. (laughs) You know what? Somebody would. Great. And that somebody deserves to have him, not us. (laughs) You're right. He deserves to be liked by someone. (laughs) (laughs) We were having this hilarious conversation tonight with this family. We were at a end of the summer Labor Day barbecue at their house. And they were talking about this bearded dragon that they just (laughs) gave away. (laughs) 
and about all of the effort that went into taking care of this bearded dragon, all the special food, vegetables and mealworms and crickets and how he's got heated floor thing, his heat lamp, and then his UV lamp and all this stuff and like <laughs> yeah. the temperature control and the $500 cage. And <laughs> his carbon footprint is. <laughs> yeah, they were like the carbon footprint Off of the that charts. bearded dragon. <laughs> they very recently rehomed that as well because they said it just got to be a lot Clearly, they were taking very good care of it. Obviously, but they were just yeah. like, this is a lot of work mm-hmm. for the minimal appreciation the Spirit of Dragon gets from our daughter. <laughs> well, and when it's the kid who is supposed to be the one doing the caretaking of said animal, yep. how often does that actually happen? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a lot for parents who are fucking working full time already. And then... I mean, if you are like chef prepping special meals for your Bearded Dragon... <laughs> Tonight on the menu, we're going to be having lettuce, radishes with some mealworms, and three crickets. And four of your toes. (laughs) Well, now you better tell that story. I have a friend who had a bearded dragon, and I i mean, it's not even that good a story because I don't remember why it ate its toes. It's still astounding. But, <laughs> but it did. I think it was like, you know how cats like bite their nails and like... I think it. they're cleaning, you know, they're cleaning like... Cleaning something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But the cats do that. I think the bearded dragon had an injury on its foot or something, and it was trying to tend to it itself, but then it ate its toes instead. It's probably like, fuck it. It's not working. I'm just going to bite this thing off. <laughs> I don't know, but it's gross and weird. It's about as gross and weird as the spider looking that occurred at the party we were at tonight. Okay, trigger warning there, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am clearly very triggered. Now you have to tell them what that means. Well, it's a very short story. We went to say <laughs> goodbye to our friends that were sitting in the hot tub. And the little boy that was in there with his parents told us, see that big spider up there. And it was pretty large. He said, yeah. He said, my dad licked it. And we yeah. were like, I'm sorry, what? The fuck? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I've never done it before. So I dared myself to do it. And I did. The dad, not the kid, dared himself to do it. He licked the yeah. spider. We did establish that for a million dollars, I would do it. And then I was asked, would I do it for $9 million? Because again, this was a small child having this conversation with us. And I said, yes, absolutely. And he okay. said, I would not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, man. He was not persuaded by $9 million. Well, he's six. so <laughs> He doesn't have to pay for anything Correct. right now. I would like $9 million. And if I have to lick a spider to get it, so be it. <laughs> Ew. I would be persuaded by that is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I would probably lick a spider for $9 million. I would be sobbing and hyperventilating the whole time. But for 9 mil, I'd do it. Worth it. We really got off the rails. Sorry, this was not the point. And bringing it back. Okay, so as someone who is often persuading people to keep the party going, (laughs) Miss Megan, (laughs) which I think is a nicer way of saying what I usually call you is a pusher. (laughs) I am. Yeah. One minute. Self-proclaimed. Just want everyone to have a good time. Right, right. (laughs) I feel like this is a fun topic for us. I feel like I'm about to get roasted. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. That was it. That was all the roasting I had for you. Okay. I've done a little bit of studying this stuff when I've studied social psychology. Social psych often teaches about conformity and obedience and persuasion in conjunction. They're all sort of adjacent. And so when I first was thinking about this in terms of the psychology track, I immediately thought of, do you know who Stanley Milgram is? The Milgram experiment? No. I bet you've heard of this, but don't know what it's called. So It sounds familiar, but that might just be because his name sounds like Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a little younger than that. Okay. <laughs> 
So he was a psychology professor at Yale in the 60s who was conducting experiments on people, basically. And with their consent, I hope. Well, sort of. It's very controversial, actually. He was from a Jewish family and was inspired by the events of the Holocaust, especially the trial of Adolf Eichmann. Part of the impetus for this was, and we see this now, unfortunately, the idea that someone can be told to do something for some greater good, whether that is an actual greater good or just from a party that they follow. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually good, Mm -hmm. but people are likely to, well, and we'll get into all the reasons why people can be persuaded and how, but people are obedient. Think about all of the civilians in Nazi Germany who Mm -hmm. just kind of went along with stuff because they were being told that this is the right thing to do. Right. And that's how they got so many people to just be complicit in this shit. I know it's fucking disgusting. So Stanley Milgram wanted to study that. And so his experiment was he brought in students. They were led to believe that it was random selection as to whether they would be the teacher or the subject in these experiments. Okay. Except they were always the teacher. Okay. And as somebody who was in on the experiment was the subject. What they had to do was they were in a separate room from the subject And they were told that a machine that was in front of them was hooked up to electric shock that would then shock the person on the other side of the wall if they got the answer wrong to the questions that they were asking them. They were told to say, you know, girl, hat, boat, carrot, or something. It was like some list of words. And then the person had to repeat it. And if they got it wrong, they had to shock them. And each time they shocked them, it was a higher and higher voltage. Okay. None of that was actually happening. Okay. But the people in the teacher position who were the actual subjects of this experiment Mm -hmm. did not know that. The person on the other side of this wall was making a show of like, ow, oh, stop it, ah, screaming and yelling. Okay. Progressively so as the shocks apparently got bigger. In the same room as the, quote, teacher was the person running the experiment, basically telling them, like, in the name of science, you need to continue. Because people would start being like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm hurting them. I don't want to hurt them. Right. And they would be told, for the sake of the experiment, you need to continue. And a lot of people did. A lot of people kept inflicting what they thought was horrible pain on other people because they were told it was, like, in the name of science. And as it turns out, after the fact, a lot of those people had some pretty severe PTSD from having to inflict what they thought was horrible pain. That's why it is very controversial. Mm -hmm. There are correlations with persuasion in that, obviously, but that was more about specifically obedience. Right. But you think about what if you were in that situation in the 60s, you know, and it's Yale. Right. Obviously knows his shit. Right. I can't remember what the percentages were. I think it was more than half of the people went along with it. Can you imagine? No, I could see why that would lead to some PTSD. And I could see where people would be super pissed when they found out that they were being fucked with. Yeah. This reminds me of, I was taking this class in college and the second day, the professor informed us that they were going to implement this grading system where 10% were going to get A's, 20% of people were going to get B's. Grading on a curve. Very specific percentages. Mm -hmm. And on down the line, and then there were going to be people that failed just because they had to put that certain number in that slot. It's all comparative. Some of the people were like... Okay, well, that is interesting. And other people were pissed, you Mm -hmm. know, they're like, what the fuck? So like, if I do really good work, just because there's not enough slots for me to get an A or whatever, I might not get an A. It sparked this big debate. And then was that the point? Well, yeah, I mean, at the the end of the class, the teacher said, well, we're not really doing this. This is just to see what kind of discussion we Mm -hmm. could provoke and who would just go along with it. Yeah. And then people were pissed about that, too, because they like got all 
all riled up and argued their cause for nothing. And yeah. They felt stupid. But It's interesting because there's video footage of these subjects in Milgram's experiment, you know, while they're doing it mm-hmm. and getting increasingly uncomfortable. And like some people were like laughing, but mm-hmm. not because they thought it was actually funny. But you know how people get that like nervous laughter? They're like, I don't know what to do right now. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I'll continue. Like, this is ridiculous. And right. it's just that nervous energy. And then they would interview them afterwards and like debrief and tell them what it actually was and like introduce them to the person who they were supposedly hurting and Mm -hmm. you know everything was fine and for the most part the people would be so relieved that that wasn't actually what was happening Mm -hmm. and then it was sometime after that that they were having like fallout feelings about what had happened yeah like that they had been put in this situation and i think a lot of people were having existential crises like Am I the type of person that would actually hurt people? You know, like that really fucked with them. Yeah. It's crazy. It kind of makes me think of The Handmaid's Tale, which I'm so excited is coming back. Season four, ready to start. Because as with any like dystopian type story, there is a certain amount of convincing people to be obedient And in that case, if you're not, then the penalty for that is death or you go to the colonies where basically they work people to death. Looked really fucking bleak. The obedience comes from fear, but there's a small percentage of people, you know, that are like the resistance willing to revolt or whatever. But like, how do you determine if you're just going to be obedient and try to save your own life Mm -hmm. or risk your life and not buy in and do what you know is right? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, I was going to say easier to go with the flow and not stand up, but then is it really? Like, it's definitely easier short term, but then you're in this horrible life for however long. That's why those shows are so fucking fascinating. Right. It makes you think, what would I do? Exactly. Yeah. And it's part of the same thing as the Holocaust in Nazi Germany and all that, because it's like the slow burn. You know, you put the lobster in the lukewarm water and it slowly boils over time. You're wearing people down over time. Mm -hmm. That is a good segue here to what I found as the different forms of persuasion. And like none of this will come as a surprise to you. This all will make complete sense. It's just sort of laid out in terminology. So there's propaganda, a form of persuasion used to indoctrinate a population towards an individual or a particular agenda. Coercion, a form of persuasion that uses aggressive threats and the provocation of fear and or shame to influence a person's behavior. And then there's systematic persuasion, which is the process through which attitudes or beliefs are leveraged by appeals to logic and reason. And heuristic persuasion, which is those attitudes being leveraged by appeals to habit or emotion. So clearly your daughter was appealing heuristically (laughs) to you about the cat. Absolutely. And this goes back as far as Aristotle. They started defining this in an academic sense in ancient Greece. Aristotle said that there were three fundamental ways to communicate persuasively. Ethos, which has to do with the person's credibility. Logos, which is appealing to reason. And pathos, which is emotion. Mm -hmm. So same stuff, just sort of evolved over time. And then there are obviously lots of different methods of it in kind of those different forms. So if you're appealing to reason, you use logic, you use rhetoric, you use scientific evidence or the scientific method. If you're appealing to emotion, you go for imagination or pity, propaganda, manipulation or seduction or even tradition. Mm -hmm. And there are coercive techniques like brainwashing, force, mind control and torture. Yeah. More of the dystopian stuff, unfortunately, does happen. Right. And then other techniques being like deception, hypnosis, social or political power, or like subliminal advertising. Mm. So there are all these different ways 
And obviously some work better than others and some work better on certain populations than others. And a lot of this gets used in business. Subliminal advertising is so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the way that I would describe it is something is being presented to you in a way that you don't focus on it. So you don't realize you see it, mm-hmm. but it's there. It might be something that flashes so quickly that your eyes capture it, even though you aren't really processing it in the forefront, Yeah, but you're still being exposed to it. Or like Coca-Cola worked into a scene in a movie mm-hmm. or something until so you're thinking like, oh, those people Man, are cool and they're drinking Coca-Cola. I want Coca-Cola. A Coca-Cola right now. That sounds so refreshing. <laughs> Why do I want a Coca-Cola all of a sudden? Right. That's exactly right. I bet that's how I ended up with all the cats. Subliminal advertising. Definitely the coercion and the wearing you down, for sure. (laughs) To be fair, it only takes so much. I think that every form of persuasion that I just read, propaganda, coercion, systematic persuasion, the logic, and the heuristic, the emotional, all were at play here for you getting this cat. Probably were all at play when you got your cats, too. No, there was no logic involved in that. (laughs) None at all. Uh We talked about how, like, they're good for kids and... COVID. Okay, that's true. Yeah. I bet there are so many animals that have homes as a result of that kind of persuasion. For sure. Speaking of persuasion used in the business context, uh, there's a psychologist named Robert Cialdini, who is a Regents Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at Arizona State, and a visiting professor of marketing business and psychology at Stanford and UC Santa Cruz. He's later in his career at this point. He's 78. He's best known for his 1984 book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And he did a bunch of research in three years, basically going undercover at used car dealerships, fundraising organizations, and telemarketing firms, observing real-life situations of persuasion. Mm -hmm. And he came up with six universal principles of persuasion. Based on his observation. Yes, on his research. And these seem to be like, if you do a Google search for persuasion and find, you know, the principles of persuasion, multiple sources now cite these. Okay. I'll just name them quickly and then we can talk about them. Uh, Reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. So reciprocity being the feeling of obligation to give what you receive. Mm -hmm. So like if a friend invites you to a party, then you feel like you need to invite them to a party. Right. Right. There was some research done about tipping in restaurants when people were given like a little mint or something with their check. Mm -hmm. Tipping went up by 3% on average when they were given two mints. It went up by 14%. Weird. And when they were given one mint and then the server stopped and like turned back around and was like, for you guys, I'm going to give you another one. The tipping went up by 23%. I always wondered why you would get a mint sometime with your check. It just depends on the restaurant, obviously, but. Interesting. Yeah. So the idea that here's a little something extra or like there's certain restaurants that will give you a tiny little amuse-bouche or whatever at the beginning or like a little dessert or a little cordial or something at the end. Yeah. You know, they do that at Purple. I've noticed sometimes because they have those little caramels. Amazing salted caramels. So good. Chocolate with salted caramel, I guess. Mm. And they will sometimes bring you your check and give you a few. Thank you so much. Take all my money. (laughs) Now I'm going to be cynical. They're going to bring me the the salted caramel and I'll be like, I'm going to eat this, but I will still tip you exactly the same don't let it change you (laughs) you're only human after all hey knowledge is power that's true the second one is scarcity which is pretty self-explanatory people want more of what they can't have i'm right here Uh, no right (laughs) but i'm right here 
You can't all have me, but somebody could. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, there was an example they cited um, that the Concorde, remember the Concorde plane? Like yeah. from London to New York. And it would fly twice a day. Right. When they announced that that was stopping. It's just not economical. We're not doing this anymore. Sales fucking skyrocketed. Oh, really? Nothing else changed. It was the same price. It was the same service. It was the same everything. It just wasn't going to be available right. anymore. And so suddenly everybody wanted it. Everyone wanted to have that experience. Mm-hmm. The third is authority. People follow the lead of credible, knowledgeable experts. So it's important to signal to others what makes you credible and knowledgeable before attempting to influence. But you can't really be like, hey, everybody, I know what I'm talking about. That doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Well, unfortunately, no. Basically, anybody else can point to you and say, this person knows what they're talking about. And it doesn't matter who the person is pointing to you. Even if the subject knows that I'm going to gain something by telling you that this person over here is an expert, mm-hmm. you're still more likely to believe me and believe that that person's an expert, even if you know I'm going to get some kind of kickback. Isn't that weird? Credibility, huh? But like, what's my credibility to say that that person's credible? Doesn't seem to matter. Well, I think when you're talking about authority being persuasive, that's like when the president speaks or when the CEO of a company speaks yeah. or it's not that those people don't deserve respect and it's not that those people haven't earned their place in those positions. But I don't think that people realize most of the time that it's really not just that one individual sitting there making decisions independently all day long, right? I, I mean, hope people realize that. They have cabinets and boards and people around them. Advisors. Advisors, yeah. They surround themselves with really smart people that are (laughs) able to stay on top of the things that need to be considered when running a successful company or Mm -hmm. country or whatever. And so the figurehead comes from this great place of authority, but there's so much that goes into the decisions that they make. Yeah. But I think that it is persuasive still to hear from that one individual. Sure. And I think sometimes the success of that persuasion is because it's the office, not the person necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. So the fourth one here is consistency. Basically, people like to be consistent with the things that they have previously said or done. In social psychology, there are so many little biases that you can study. There's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. You want to believe that the things you believe are true. Right. You are more likely to seek out information that supports your views. Right. And certainly more likely to believe someone who tells you something that already agrees with you. I would frankly love to do an entire episode on all the different biases that you can have. Because there's another one, the anchoring bias, which is basically saying the first thing you believe is the thing you're most likely to believe going forward, whether you get new information or not. Because you've now sold yourself on an idea Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be wrong. Well, maybe we will break that down on an episode someday, because I've done some research on that for work related reasons. And it really is fascinating. Yes, all the different ways that people can be biased. Yes, we will have that in the coming, who knows, months, sometime. Um, (laughs) Coming soon. (laughs) uh, Number five was liking. So people prefer to say yes to those that they like, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. The three main factors for liking people, and this is very base level research, One, people who are similar to us. Two, people who pay us compliments. And three, people who cooperate with us. There was a study with MBA students at two different prestigious universities. They were basically given a topic and told to try to come to consensus. Something like 50%-ish were able to come to consensus in the allotted time when they were told time equals money, get straight to business. Mm -hmm. The other group that was told, try to find some common ground first and then do it. They reached like 90% consensus. 
Okay. So when you are able to establish some commonality with somebody before you try to persuade them of something or sell them on something or whatever, you're going to have a much greater chance of success. That's why companies train on building rapport Mm -hmm. with customers because it helps in progress, basically, and any issue that you're working through. It's funny. This is marginally related, but I was hired many years ago, my first real office job. I was hired as a receptionist at a small digital media company Mm -hmm. here in Seattle. And it's a much bigger company now. It was a very small when I was there. It was like economic downturn time. Mm -hmm. It was right after the dot-com bubble burst. Mm -hmm. But they specifically said that they looked for people who'd come out of restaurant work Mm -hmm. because of the personability. My company does that in some industries. They will not ask people about necessarily their experience in that industry they will ask, have you ever been a server? Have you ever had to wait tables and deal with the fucking public? In a busy restaurant. I mean, that shows that you can handle situations where you're under pressure. Yeah. People are demanding things of you. You're having to do your job with a smile on your face. Think on your feet. Be polite. Mm -hmm. You know, even if somebody's being rude and you're stressed and which happens every day, tired It's actually a question that is asked in interviews a lot of times when it has nothing to do with the industry that that person is going to work in. Just one more reason why I think literally every single fucking person should have to work in food service at some point. Yeah, I I mean, and I haven't done that, but... You've worked retail. I've worked retail, which I don't think is as difficult. There are similarities, but it's different. There's definitely some not fun dealing with the public in those situations as well. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, I've always said, you know, some countries have mandatory military service. I think we need to have mandatory food service. (laughs) (laughs) No joke. I think that we could fix a lot of fucking things that are wrong with the world. Mm. Not everything. A lot more people would be poisoned, too. Sure. sure. (laughs) But I think that it insists that you learn to pay attention to your surroundings and therefore have awareness of other people in your surroundings. Yeah. It insists that you learn how to interact in a hopefully positive way with people, whether you want to or not. And not to say that you should take shit. But there are always going to be interactions you have to have. I just got to get through this and I can move on with my fucking life. Right. You know, and I think we would have less war. I think we would have just greater empathy all around if that happened. I'm a big proponent. I'm going to write a bill and get everyone to sign it. So look for my petition coming soon. Let me know who you get to run that for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to be me. Which leads me to my next principle of persuasion here. Number six, consensus. Uh Also known as social proof. So basically, people will look to the actions and behaviors of others to determine their own. So you're more likely to do something or be okay with doing something if you know that other people are also doing it. Whether that's good or bad. Correct. We were talking about this a little bit in our episode that Tom was on and he was bringing up mob mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, people will do things that they wouldn't normally do in certain situations because everyone is doing it. It feels like it's been co-signed and so it's okay. Yeah. The example that the video I watched gave was talking about hotels that were trying to encourage guests to reuse their towels rather than literally throwing them on the floor and having them washed and replaced every single time they got used. Right. Just for environmental reasons and part of that is perhaps labor shortage or who knows. Staffing too. Who knows? Yeah. Lots of reasons. And like at home, you don't wash your fucking towel every time you use it. I mean, if you do, I don't. (laughs) Congratulations, but I don't at all. They found that. I can't remember the exact percentages, but putting a sign in the bathroom that said, please reuse your towel. 
upped the percentage by a little bit. And then if they said 75% of the people who stayed in this hotel have reused their towel, that percentage went up by a significant amount. And then they tried to sign that said 75% of the people who have stayed in this room reused mm-hmm. their towel. Right. Thanks for your support or whatever. Right. Save the environment. How whatever. bougie do you want to be? Right. <laughs> and that it skyrocketed. It just upped these percentages by a ton. Right. Because they were probably afraid of like, what is the cleaning staff going to think of what me? What are they going to think? If I'm that asshole person right. that can't use my towel more than once. So the key takeaway here is have <laughs> that thought about your behavior, whether there's a sign or not. Am I the asshole person? It's a good (laughs) takeaway. (laughs) Oh, man. I find this shit fascinating. And I studied marketing, like my actual degree is in marketing. Mm -hmm. And I always studied a little bit of psychology and then kind of kept studying psychology and want to go back someday and study it more. Mm -hmm. It's so fucking fascinating. Individual and societal behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. I cannot get enough. Yeah, I know that that is something that fascinates you. And I think, you know, we've talked about this in the past when we did our true crime episode. Mm -hmm. I don't think that so many people love watching true crime because that much of the population is just morbid. I think that people are fascinated with what is wrong with that person or what went wrong in that situation to make them so different from the rest of us. Yeah, totally. Studying deviant behavior or abnormal psychology, I honestly cannot think of a more fascinating topic. And Mm -hmm. I intended to study that going in. And again, plans. (laughs) Best laid plans. Plans. (laughs) Then I changed my track and went into business because I thought, oh, what can you really do with psychology degree? Mm, So much. Well, what have I done with a business degree? I guess I owned a restaurant. So there's that. But ran a business. Sure. (laughs) 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 But like... I think there's so much to the idea that something really speaks to you and it fascinates you. And maybe you're not going to get rich off of it. But you know what? I'm not fucking rich anyway. So you know I might what, as well though? do what I like. You could get rich off it if you are an effective, persuasive salesperson. I don't want to be that. Well, I know. But it's interesting, though, how a lot of people have this negative perception of people that work in sales Mm. But really, you know, a lot of it is the same like persuasion tactics. Yeah. If you're a good salesperson, it's not even just persuasion because I'm good at getting you to believe me. It's persuasion because they've actually delivered on what they're trying to sell or they want an opportunity to deliver on it. And so they're using these persuasive tactics to get that chance to prove what they can do or maintain the relationship. Well, yeah, the hope is that it's ethical persuasion. Well, yeah. That's, One can that's always the sell. hope. Yeah. It's funny because coming out of business school, I remember like toward the end of my senior year, they had this job fair and every single job, all the companies there, everything, it was all sales. And the large part of it was like cold call sales. And I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. It makes my skin crawl Yeah, to be the one doing that. I recognize the need. I applaud you if you're someone who does it well and does it ethically. But for me, the idea of trying to sell something to somebody that maybe they don't need, yeah, I absolutely abhor that idea for myself. I just can't do it. Yeah. And then there's the upsell too, right? That I don't like when you're trying to purchase something, a service or product that you need. And then you get roped into this upsell. Yeah. I mean, working in restaurants for so long, obviously that's sales, but like I'm in a place and people are coming to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have these things here and you came here. 
So you clearly want something that I have here. Right. And even the upselling in a restaurant environment, like waiting tables, I was never super comfortable with. What are you supposed to upsell? Oh, they use that term all the goddamn time. Oh, really? All the time. Yes. If they didn't order an appetizer, you're supposed to try to get them to order an appetizer. Oh, that's true. Did they order after dinner drinks? Did they order a dessert? No. You're supposed to sell it all. Try to make right. them buy all the things. Did you guys save room for some dessert? Right. It's all the upsell. And it, again, these are people who came here to me or to this place for something they know I have. Right. And so I never felt as weird about it. But like the idea, all those fucking jobs at the job fair were all like I had to make a phone call and like try to sell somebody something. And when people call me, I don't even answer my phone if it's a number I don't know anymore. But if I'm at work and I have to answer the phone and it's somebody on like a fucking sales call. Right. I have to check myself so hard so quickly because my immediate reaction is get the fuck out of my day. What are you doing? And then I'm like, they're just doing their job. Don't be an asshole. And so I and I always have to figure out a way to quickly shut it down because you say no. Here's the coercion. You say no. And they're like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And it's like the fundraising calls you get for political shit. Could you give $200 to the whatever? And my go-to line is, I appreciate what you're doing. Because, you know, it's not like very conservative organizations are calling me. So it's always somebody who I'm on (laughs) board with. Right. I'm on board with what they're doing. So I like to thank them for what they're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's super necessary. I can't give right now, mm-hmm. which is usually true. And then they're like, okay, I understand you can't give at the $200 level. How would $100 be? And I'm like, again, I appreciate what you're doing. Like, I just can't bring myself to fucking hang up on the people. But like, we're wasting everyone's time here. I'm not giving you anything today. Like when the Jehovah's Stop Witnesses it. used oh my to come God. to my house all the time. Well, I tried to shut that down for you. That I know. I have less tolerance for the religious proselytizing than I do for the people making the sales calls just doing their job. Yeah, I mean, I don't care for that either. But yeah, something about that whole experience, it was difficult for me. Maybe it was because of the woman that kept coming was very kind, very nice. That's and I, how they try to get you. Well, uh, here's the thing is that I, I recognize that she was completely brainwashed as right, well. And right. a product of that whole environment. Yeah. And so I was kind of just trying to be polite and like, okay, I'll take your flyer. Goodbye. And then she just kept coming. Yeah. And then she was bringing like more She's like, people I have her. an in. Let's go. It finally got to the point where, you know, I was kind of politely trying to shut them down. Well, it wasn't you were working. mostly hiding from them. Well, no. So then, <laughs> so then I just stopped answering the door. Yeah. And they could tell that I was home because I'd be like vacuuming and mm-hmm. stuff. But I'm just like, nope. Mm-mm. I saw that they were there and I'm like done i'm not required to interact with absolutely you. not you know so you're at like, my house now you've come to Goodbye. my home to try to persuade me i'm not interested yeah. i never was but i was trying to be polite about it and now i'm just not gonna talk to you about it i have the same except way higher on the scale gross feeling about that that i do about making sales calls mm. you know mm-hmm. speaking of this is sort of related i am currently watching under the banner of heaven do you know about this Mm-mm. Oh, Megan. I do not. You will love it. You need to watch. It's on Hulu. Oh. It is based on a true crime book by John Krakauer that I've been meaning to read for years. Okay. And never did. By the same name, Under the Banner of Heaven. It's about Mormons and murder. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk of missionaries. And so that's what just made me think of it. Okay. Just the door-to-door proselytizing. Mm-hmm. It's 
fucked up. Yeah. It's real fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, the Kennedys of Utah or something like this family that's just known in the Mormon church. And uh, some of their sons kind of go rogue. And Okay. You need to watch it. Okay. You will be horrified and love it at the same time. Sounds right up my alley. Yeah. The show itself is not a true crime documentary. It's it's scripted. It's acted. Okay. There's a Culkin in it. Uh, which one? Rory Culkin. Is one of the... Rory? Yeah. There's a lot of Culkin brothers, apparently. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. He's one of the brothers of this Mormon family. Um, Andrew Garfield plays the detective who's also Mormon, but not related. And I mean, it's it's bonkers. Yeah. It's real good. That also just reminded me of a, a video I saw. I've been doing a lot of like down the rabbit hole fucking reels on Instagram and it's a problem. But I saw one the other day that was basically talking about the best way to get rid of Mormon missionaries. And there was this couple that had a, I almost said placemat. What's it called? Welcome mat at their front door. Yeah. Not a placemat. I mean, it might have been a placemat. I don't fucking know. <laughs> and it said, gayest place in town. <laughs> and there is like ring doorbell footage of these two guys walking up. And you can tell they're, you know, they got their little, right, right. you know, short sleeve white shirts on and the tie right. and their, their little backpacks. They walk up. And before they even knock or ring the doorbell or anything, they look down and start reading it. And the only word they get out is gayest. And they turn around and leave. It's incredible. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That is the best possible. Like, oh, these people are too far gone. Salvation is not for them. (laughs) Goodbye. I still like my doormat that says come as you are. But that may be perceived as an invitation. You also have the little sign by your door that says, like, no soliciting, no religion, no whatever, right? Well, at this house, it just says no soliciting. But because my screen door is propped open, it kind of covers it up. Uh, so I need to well, we need door. to spray paint no proselytizing across the front door or something. <laughs> you gave me the sign I have that yeah. says, like, no no religion, no politics, no whatever. Um, I like our, our friends Cody and Rob have one that says, we love our vacuum, we've found God, and we gave it the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yep. Get out of here. I respect that you're trying to make a living or do what you think is right, I guess. But like, don't do it by coming to my house. I have mixed feelings because there are people just trying to survive just like us. Well, but at the same time. Like- when it's a sales thing, when it's business, Yes. When it's religion, that's not what they're doing. Right, right, right. That's different. That's totally true. So how can we persuade people to subscribe and rate and review? That is a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, if they're still listening, okay, number one, I'm going to shame you a little bit. Oh. Maybe that's a coercive technique, but like, not you. Oh, I was like, what I do? No, not you. The <laughs> listeners. Most of you are probably just fine. Some of you have been listening to the, all of this content without having subscribed. Why? Why have you done that? <laughs> What's wrong? Do you want to listen to us but not count in our numbers? Reciprocity, you, folks. Reciprocity. You should be counted. You matter. <laughs> you You might matter. have been better at the cold calls than you thought. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Anywho, please rate and review and subscribe and follow us everywhere you are. Asking nicely is a good persuasive tactic as well. I mean, well. I really hope that we've got the likable part. For I mean, if if people keep coming back and listening, mm-hmm. I can't imagine they'd be hate listening for 116 episodes. So. Maybe they only like one of us. Ooh, which one is it? <laughs> is it Megan? It's Megan, isn't it? <laughs> 
It's probably Michelle. I'm I the doubt cynical it. one. So. <laughs> no, I'm the I'm the like soapbox annoying one. I get that. I own it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even my own mom is like, I agree with Megan a lot. <laughs> I love Aww. you, mom. Aw, thanks. But we don't argue that much. No, we don't. We don't. But we respectfully agree to disagree on things sometimes. Yes. And, you know, I'm just, um, I get very adamant about things. And I recognize that. You're passionate. I am passionate. It's not that you're not passionate. You just present yourself differently than I do. Yeah. And I'm not as passionate about the same things. as Sure. So. You are passionate about cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is evident. Baseball. (laughs) Um, Um, Yes. And hot tubs. <laughs> and some really important other wow, things, too. Wow, I sound like a really <laughs> no. well-rounded person. Cats, go, baseball, and hot tubs. Go read our bios on our website. This bitch does all the things. And I'm like, <laughs> I like cheese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anywho, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Prosecco Theory. You can find our adorable merch at uh, tpublic.com. I should mention briefly that I went on Saturday night to the Chateau Saint-Michel winery concert series to see Chicago. Yes. As in the band that's been around for five plus decades, maybe six. I don't even know. Yeah, it's been a minute. They're prolific. I went with my mom and her good friend and I ended up taking Aaron that was supposed to be a ticket for the boyfriend at the time when I bought the ticket. Oh, but, right. you know, another <laughs> Aaron got another win out of that situation. And uh, I went ahead and wore my Honesty a Sexy shirt in his honor to the concert. <laughs> That's I like right. It. I like it. Making your statement. Fucking right. Yep. It was a really fun show. And they were definitely all middle-aged to old men. Only three original members of the band. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Seven... I think it was seven other members that have clearly been, you know, cycled through. And are, there was one guy who I'm pretty sure was younger than me. We were laughing our asses off at the AV situation yeah. for the show because it was it was all just like shapes and colors and geometric abstract stuff. And like very like, I just figured out how to use this application. <laughs> And then they had, you know, Getty images where you can get like stock photos, but it was like video clips. And so it was like, what's this song about? Let's find a bunch of video clips to push together about this topic. It was so funny. My God. Um, Like they were great. It was so much fun. And but Aaron and I just kept cracking up at the videos. And Aaron's like, I think the AV crew was fucking with them. And I was like, no, no, they signed off on this for sure. <laughs> like, they're not young anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> we're like, this is so hip. <laughs> I am also appreciative that I was able to easily persuade you and several other friends to come do even more painting at my house this weekend. Yep. <sighs> Nobody hates it as much as you. So you think that you're like asking the world of us but as it turns out it's not that bad i kind of find it fun and it's a group activity and you said there'd be pizza and drinks so right like that <laughs> i will a, deliver on that that's a win as far as i'm concerned <laughs> fun is stretching it i enjoy having you guys around and i appreciate you helping me but dear god the painting never ends in this house i mean this might be it for a while Hopefully. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Some wood. Yeah. Okay. Well, I already said all the things. So yeah. let's just say good night, y'all. And uh, until next time. Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers.